0: G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Welcome to our second special episode on payments. We're starting off this episode with an overview of the payments landscape with banking maven and stone-and-chalk mentor Andrew Davis. After that, we'll speak to Spaceship co-founders Kashik Sen and Paul Bennett about what super funds mean to millennials and how they plan on moving the dial on superannuation starting small then going big on our second payments special now this is the point where i normally thank our sponsor and i'll come to that in a minute but in the interest of transparency i want to share with you what's going on twista has a series long sponsorship deal with braintree payments and they asked us to do three specials about payments with no strings attached so twista is free to tell the stories we want to tell about payments because braintree thinks it's important that we all think about payments a bit more, I have to say that I agree, payments are important. So while we'll have two normal ad breaks on this show and both will be for Braintree Payments, this isn't advertorial. We're not trying to sell you anything. Our goal is to help you learn a little bit more about payments and a big shout out to Braintree, code for easy online payments because they have made this show possible. Well, listeners, I realize I made a bit of a mistake, because in our first special episode on payments, we jumped right into the fray with easy sharing with Spriggy. We never really stopped to explain what payments are and why they're so important. My apologies, because we're now going to rectify that mistake. Our first guest on this second special episode is an expert on payments and a lot more besides. I met Andrew Davis when he was a global head of FinTech at HSBC, which is the largest bank in the world. And after he left HSBC earlier this year, he was greedily snatched up by Stone & Chalk, which is where he mentors many of the FinTech startups. Andrew, welcome to this week in Startups Australia.
1: Yes, thank you, Mark. I'm uh, really excited to be here
0: with you today. Okay, let's go back to basics. What do payments mean in the context of FinTech and the banking system? Well, I guess... You know, to look at the
1: foundation aspect of payments, payments is, you know, kind of the representation of value in the economy. It's the way that uh, we interact and that we get things done. So for banks, payment is is a pivotal part of their business, not just for those economic and social reasons, but, you know, for in terms of balance sheet and profitability, payments... Uh, is a key component of every bank around the world and yet whilst historically payments have been pivotal to the way society works and behaves and grows and interacts, I think now there's an interesting fork in the road ahead around well, what does payment really mean and how will we exchange value in the future? So I mean,
0: it used to be that a payment would be handled by a cheque Yes. Maybe by a credit card. Yes. Or physical cash. (laughs) Or physical. Oh, my goodness. Even (laughs) physical cash. All right. So you you have those. Okay. And that was pretty much all true until about 15 years ago. Yes. What's happened over the last 15 years? Because payments has now become this other sort of growing like a monster thing. Sure. And I
1: think, you know, common with disruption we're seeing in society, the the main uh, drivers are around internet. Um, smartphones, uh, new entrants, new technology. So it's much easier now for people, for businesses, to make a payment without having to pull the checkbook out of the drawer, without having to open their wallet and pull out a, a physical note, because they've all got all these great apps and so on that they can make use of. Now the banks started that, that trend, that change, with their own electronic banking platforms, which were originally thick clients, then became web based. Then ventured into the mobile territory, but you know, at the end of the day, mobile uh, sorry payment in itself, you know, is not the be and the end. Or it supports some other activity. Right. So that's why we see payments appear in in all parts of our lives and in all sorts of interesting you know tools and services.
0: And is this why we now have? Um, well, first there was PayPal and there's Stripe and there's Square and yes. there's. Uh, well, there was Amazon payments. I don't think it's around anymore, but there was this multiplication in the number of service providers that you could go to for payments. Yes, because also... And And we should mention, and Braintree Payments also, who are the sponsors of this episode, (laughs) not to leave them out. Yes, and I think also what's happened there is that
1: payments historically have been the realm of the bank so you had to be a bank to play in the payment space to be a bank meant you had to be licensed to have an exchange settlement account reserve bank and so on now of course as the banking industry is opening up access to the infrastructure Mm -hmm. it's making it easier for new entrants and third parties to come along and offer a pure payments proposition and not have to provide you an account and lending and so on
0: and if I'm a company that wants to do payments, I now have as a startup, I now have multiple options about what payment system I would then integrate. Does that mean that the banks are now seeing an erosion in some of the core services they used to offer because there are a lot of competitors there?
1: Yes, definitely. There, there is. Uh, uh, I guess. The nipping of the heels happening with the banks. So, uh, and two things are happening here. Yes, there's a lot more choice and new entrants sort of giving businesses and consumers options other than mainstream banks to facilitate these transactions. But then on the other hand, also from a a pricing regulatory perspective, there's growing pressure on existing providers and schemes to become more efficient from a pricing perspective. And the best example of that is the continual downward pressure on interchange rates for credit card transactions.
0: Right, and you can see... What's gone on with, the, for instance, taxicabs, right? taxi cabs used to be able to charge a very high rate in Australia yes. if you paid with a credit card and now, I think starting in Victoria, but it's spreading around the country state by state, you're seeing those fees seriously being knocked down.
1: Yes, and I think the, the consumer today, again, uh, they're much more aware and familiar with um, pricing and wanting transparency around that, and they expect um, change, and if they don't get change, then they'll want
0: choice and other options. Okay, so let's say that I'm a startup, and I'm going to open up my doors. Do I need to think about payments if I have a commerce-based organization? Do I need to think about payments? How comprehensively do I need to think about payments? Do I need to think about it for the first six months of my business, or do I actually need to think about what my payments needs are going to be in five years and plan for that? Well, you
1: definitely need to think about it day one, because payments is your lifeblood. It's the way that you receive value for the goods and services that you sell. And, of course, you have obligations to people you trade with to pay them. So you need to be uh, having a payment capability from day one for cash flow reasons. Mm-hmm. You then need to think about the types of people or se- customer segments you interact with because that could influence the type of payments. And so also, different
0: kinds of customers prefer different kinds yes, of payments. Yes, that's solutions. right. So,
1: of course, mostly mm-hmm. now it's electronic. But let take credit card, of course. Consumers okay. are very familiar with credit card. Yeah. So is small business. But large enterprise, maybe not so. You know, large enterprise maybe will send me an invoice. And 30 days later, I'll send you uh, an EFT to your bank account. So you have to think about who you're interacting with. And, of course, physically, where are those people? And is it a single currency solution, or do you need more than one currency?
0: All right, so this opens the door. So if I actually am starting, say, a SaaS startup, and I'm going to be global more or less from day one, I was interviewing someone the other day who said her first sale, when she opened her doors, Australian company, was in Sweden. So how do you then think about that as a startup? Because this now starts to get very complicated, yeah, right? Because you're dealing with all of these currencies and all of these countries and all of these regulatory domains. How does this work?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it can be a real challenge because you, as soon as you go online and you're global, you don't know where your next customer is going to come from. Right. And you don't want to limit your proposition by pricing everything, say, in Aussie dollars because that might turn people off. So then you need to think about, okay, who, how can I provide a multi-currency solution? Which mm-hmm. currencies do I need to support? Uh, and can I do that in a way that well, I'm not forced to actually open bank accounts in 20 countries around the world and hold balances which has been the historical very traditional way that banks have taken it but it's uh, and I guess this is now the, the threat and the opportunity by some of these new um, providers as you mentioned earlier the list that you gave they're able to offer these multi currency solutions and banks themselves can do that but mostly uh, as a bank they'll offer that to a Qantas and not to some you know small guy working out of home with a global website. Is it because just expensive for them to offer it or is there hasn't been a lot of demand I think it's lack of understanding of the demand Mm -hmm. but the expense side is more at the relationship level what's a real challenge now for banks for compliance reasons Mm -hmm. KYC AML is how do I maintain a relationship with a really small customer who profit wise doesn't represent a lot to me but the cost to serve and to know that customer is increasing all the time and today banks don't always have an answer to that so that's why Uh, you know, some of these new entrants have stepped in and claimed that space because they offer a model that uh, addresses that or perhaps flies under the radar to some degree from a regulatory
0: perspective. And that's always an interesting question because some of these, you know, banking is highly regulated for a lot of reasons. One of those reasons is you don't want to lose people's money. (laughs) But another one of those reasons is you don't want to enable terrorism or criminals to be able to move large quantities of money. So where do payments sort of intersect with those things?
1: Well, so there's a lot of focus globally on how can payments be more trusted and secure. And we even see now, this is the amazing thing, we even see now startups that are specializing in the KYC AML compliance space. Mm. I guess broadly categorized as reg tech to some degree. Well, we had uh, Eric
0: from Simple KYC on the show a couple of series ago. Yes,
1: and there's another great startup here in Sydney called Identity, which actually just won a challenge with Swift, and they're now going to conduct a global proof of concept. And their catchphrase is about KYT, know your transaction. And their proposition is about improving for banks the, the certainty and understanding of a transaction and what it relates to. So it's sort of a metadata layer for all
0: their transactions. Yeah, they,
1: they can capture associated information with the payment and tokenize that. and then, And then without making wholesale changes to existing payment formats. Um, allow that token information to pass through seamlessly with the transaction and then offline cross-reference what that associated data
0: is. So what we're actually seeing here is startups need to think about payments because it's part of doing business, but startups are also now starting to influence directly how the payment systems work.
1: Yes, and ironically, it could be the case that startups at the end of the day ride in on the horse and help save the banks in terms of this massive hole that they're getting into around the ever-increasing cost and obligations of compliance and security and identity. And often that is uh, the priority and the and the and mm-hmm. what is impacted by that is the customer experience and the pricing and the outcomes at the end of the day. Right. And
0: this is one thing I think many bank customers don't necessarily understand that a lot of the the difficulty dealing with bank systems is more geared around compliance so that the bank doesn't end up in trouble than it is geared around customer service. Yes, correct and unfortunately though what happens is
1: uh, you know, all the time we get these new rec- uh, compliance requirements getting laid on top of the existing service and process and nobody's ever taken a step back and said well if we had a fresh sheet of paper how would we do it and what would it look like so you know it's this real mash now of, of I guess frustration and uh, inefficiency that uh, has created, I guess, the environment we have
0: today, particularly from a cross-border perspective. Okay, so this is a really good place to then launch the next question, which is where are payments going? If you look out five years, ten years. So good question. I
1: just returned from the big SWIFT event called Cybos, which is held every year. This year it was in Geneva, fantastic city to be in. But and what, it's about thirty thousand international bankers sort of fly in. Yes, this. and it's all about the future of banking from a correspondent banking perspective. Mm-hmm. And there were two transversal themes for the week to use SWIFT terminology. Mm-hmm. One was cyber security, of course lots of issues of a isn't around um, um, S- uh, Swift has been robbed a couple of times in the last year so I'm sure it's well. banks that use Swift's, Swift technology yeah. and uh, and but the other is around DLT as well and so and you know, I think these two things are represented DLT design, distributed yes. ledger technology in other words the blockchain but okay yes which is really interesting in itself because I see that there's this kind of evolution of terminology now and it's partly the bank's driving this so of course Bitcoin is a word that the b- banks don't want to use at all and by association they don't like blockchain so now everything's DLT Um, and even it's small d DLT it's not big D you know it's like I've got two nodes and that's now distributed for my ledger so but that's a whole other topic but what I saw at Cyboss is a, a big big shift now to thinking about the future of payments and about um uh, you know where, where is this heading and what is the role of Swift I mean there was a great article that Finextra put out because Ripple was at this Swift event and they had a massive stand and lots of attention and Finextra said that Ripple was l- like the unwanted guest at a party who trashes the house and runs off with your girlfriend um, so there was some interesting tension between Ripple and Swift um, publicly and behind the scenes but you can see that the, you
0: know, Swift is a real fork in the road what happens next Wow. And so payments are very much in startup land. Watch this space. Yes.
1: And, you know, I think there's a great opportunity in Australia with NPP coming that the startup uh, community has lots of great, uh, you know, uh, a new platform, a new foundation to work on and to think about.
0: Andrew Davis, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. Hi, this is Mark Pesci with a few words about Twista special episode sponsors Braintree, code for easy online payments. Entrepreneurs around the world have used Braintree as a simple way to accept PayPal and credit cards and debit cards and whatever's coming next. With a single, scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies worldwide, making your global expansion a snap. And using Braintree, that's as easy as integrating a few lines of code, getting your business up and running fast. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com twista. Now, it's said that statistically, most people don't think seriously about their retirement until they're around 53 years old, which coincidentally is exactly how old I am. So, of course... I'm starting to wonder how long I'll be working and how much I'll be able to put aside for my retirement when, whenever I decide to retire. And in Australia, we've had just about a quarter century regime of compulsory superannuation contributions from both workers and employers. And that means there are now, I don't know, something like $3 trillion, close to $3 trillion in Australian superannuation funds. That's a lot of money. Now, to help us make sure that that money gets invested well and grows into a really nice nest egg, Australia has a range of super funds. Mm-hmm. And some of those funds are managed by some of the largest companies in Australia, like AMP. Well, last month we added another one, but it was one with a difference. And here to talk to us about that difference are Koshik Sen and Paul Bennett's of Spaceship, which bills itself as the Super Fund for Millennials koshik Paul, welcome to this week in Startups Australia. Thanks for Thanks
2: having us. Thanks well. for having
0: us. What does it mean? Superfund for millennials?
3: That's a good question. So I think like the way we came to this superfund was we asked a lot of people our age where is their super, and the resounding response was. Oh my god, I I have no idea. I should probably know, right? (laughs) And then we would ask, well, if if you're gonna if if this is the asset that's probably gonna be the biggest asset you own over your life, apart from your house, you should probably know what you own, you know, like what are the sort of five companies that are gonna drive your superannuation for the next thirty to fifty years? Or, you know, where is it invested? What companies do you own? And the look we'd always get is a very worried look. You know, they'd be like, oh, gee, I think I'm in the defensive option or the growth option. I actually have no idea. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that gets everyone concerned. Uh, and then, and then we we'll, we'll look Does at, it
0: get them concerned enough to do something about it? Well, you we, know? Ho-
3: we hope so. Superannuation is the biggest disengaged audience I've ever come across. Um, But
0: is it because we don't want to think about retirement? I certainly don't want to think, I I mean, I'm looking at mm -hmm. my uncle who's 80 mm -hmm. years old and still working, he's a scientist, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's my model. Mm -hmm. I don't want to retire (laughs) and hopefully I won't have to, but I'm going to have to retire at some
2: point. I'm going to have to make sure I can support myself when it happens. That's a really interesting point around retirement and the definition of what that means. At one point in our history, retirement, at a very short point, I would say actually, Because in the past, people didn't really retire. They kind of <laughs> died they, on the they, job. They, they died, you know, <laughs> yeah. while yeah. working. But there was this sort of golden age where people retired, they, in in quotes. They basically stopped working, point in their lives. They got paid a pension by the company. The company could afford to pay that pension until they died. Mm. Sometimes your spouse got that pension yeah. even after that, right? So even after up to their death as well. So those days are gone. Yeah. Um, we're back to something that's closer to what things were like before but obviously a bit better because we're living longer um, and we're transitioning into a different mode of life retirement is not a it's it's not a point in time it's a transition mm.
0: well we also now have I guess again the superannuation framework where yeah. there's a, a collective agreement between employers and employees in Australia that this is a common problem and therefore employers will put in a certain amount and employees will put in a certain amount and I remember when I moved here because this is not a thing in America right you can have a 401k or things like that but I remember when I when I was here I was I was told the various options and if I put in this amount then the AFTRS would put in this amount and if I put in the full amount AFTRS would overtop that and I was Mm. like wow you mean I could put in all of this money and it was really an interesting set of options, but when I moved here, I was completely unprepared for thinking about them. So how do you take, particularly millennials who are 50 years away from this, probably, on average, how do you get them to think about 50 years in the future?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So, so you know, I think just extending your earlier point is that we've, we don't want a society where you can no longer work and then you become society's problem. So so you know someone has to kind of support you, which is a good thing. You may need a pension or whatever it is. Yeah. And what what our government has done is very early on we started with this sort of six and a half percent um forced contribution. So six and a half percent of your salary would go to super and that was back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It's now at nine and a half percent and it's on its way to twelve percent. Well so, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but, but more, and more, yep. more and more more and more of your salary needs to be kind of put aside for something to happen in the future, right? So we think you should probably pay attention to where that's going and how it's being managed. Okay, so
0: how does Spaceship then present that what makes you different than any of the funds that someone might have on offer you know the uni super fund which I'm in because I was teaching at the time that I was in that Mm. or anything like
3: that we can fix that for you so so no so 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 when we looked at it there's there's as you said there's 2 trillion dollars worth of assets in superannuation there's only 250 funds managing that capital, right? right? And if you look at how they manage it, they're all managing it the same way. It's a very sort of, there's no differentiation in how they're sort of thinking it through. It's It's not built from first principles. It's a very sort of fee driven... Industry, mm-hmm. right? And what that means is, when you see the advertisements on TVs for two for a super fund, it's always comparing these two. And I can't sh- I can't show the listeners, but it's two super funds growing at the same pace, right? right? And the super fund that has the lower fees is the one that you should be in. Right, so the narrative that the super industry has done very well at is convincing you that the only thing that matters is whether you have a one percent fee or a half percent fee, right? Because everyone's performs the same,
0: as opposed to a genuine difference in investment strategy.
3: Absolutely, and, and in any other investment industry, it's about performance. Right. It's the only thing that matters. And what we want to do is we want to change this industry from a fee-driven industry to a performance-driven
0: industry. So how do you do that?
3: Well, the problem is is incentives, right? So if you're really good at managing money from, from sort of first principles, thinking decades out, mm-hmm. you're not sitting in a super fund. You're sitting in a hedge fund, right? Because you will get paid millions of dollars yeah. to manage people's capital. Yes. And the people, the capital you're managing is probably a family office of someone very, very wealthy right. um, or, an, or an endowment fund of a university, right? You're not managing retail money in superannuation, right? Right. So the the first thing we'd like to do is to bring that capability, that horsepower, into super, right?
0: Okay, so if you're going to manage super like a hedge fund...
3: Well, no, we're not doing that. We're definitely not doing
0: that. I was going to say, because that goes off the rails fairly...
3: Yeah, definitely not. What what we're talking about is making long-term decisions with your super from first principles, right? And the, the easiest thing for people to understand is that if you look at your super, it'll be overweight. BHP, Commonwealth Bank, the Big Four banks, right? right? What should it be overweight? And what we've seen over the last three decades is technology in our generation has absolutely been the key to f- for differentiation for all companies. Well, the right? four largest companies in the world are the f- technology companies. The five largest technology companies. I'm sorry, the I left five out Alibaba. Yes, <laughs> no, and 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 those five companies generated ninety billion dollars worth of profit in 2015. Most of them were around 20 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Atlassian locally is now bigger than our national airline, Qantas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... In our generation, we have seen... Probably more profitable. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we have seen technology be the key to differentiation and enablement for all companies. So our view going forward, if you're going to build a portfolio that you're going to hold on to for 30 to 50 years, you should absolutely use technology as the core of it, the starting point, you know. Uh,
0: this now opens... Up a door that I did want to open up because you have a background as a VC, and we're gonna we will come to that a little bit further on. Does that then mean, though, that spaceship, in some sense, is this kind of uh, gray zone between a very classic investment fund and a very risk hungry VC fund because it's looking for some of the returns that you get from technology VCs, but also wants to have some of the stability associated with established retail fund management
3: uh, I, think, I, I think I think I think the 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 sort of current textbook method to to allocate money in a superannuation fund is this kind of top-down asset allocation approach mm-hmm. where it's like you're an Australian so you should have thirty percent of your your retirement funds in Australian companies right mm-hmm. but if you're an American you should have 30 percent in American companies and the rest in somewhere else right what you really want is just a well-diversified portfolio of wonderful companies that are growing over time. So
0: sector hedging rather than national hedging. Almost
3: well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So you should you should build it from first principles. Mm-hmm. You know, you should kind of. Why should I own this company? Not so much. Why should I own this country? And you know? is
0: Spaceship making that decision for someone in the fund, or is a member of the fund making that decision when they're in Spaceship?
3: Spaceship is making that decision. So okay. so so we've built a portfolio where we've got technology companies at the core, and then we've diversified that um, uh, around that sort of technology core. So.
0: You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. You've been hearing a lot from Andrew, and you'll be hearing more from Kashik and Paul about their various forays into payments we're going to take that information and we're going to put that up on our tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com up there you'll find photos you'll find links you'll find podcasts everything from the history of the show over our 60 episodes that i think we're up to at this point are all on the tumblr at (laughs) twistartupsaus.tumblr.com And we're back talking to Koshik and Paul of Spaceship, the new super fund for millennials. Okay. You have a big marketing task in front of you because you have to convince people who think they're going to live forever and are never thinking about retiring mm. that they need to save and that they need to save with you. How do you make that
3: happen? There is 5 million people in this country between the age of 18 to 35. Right. Right. It is a non-trivial task to go out to 5 million people.
0: You're not fast-moving consumer goods, right? Exactly. You're not Coca-Cola.
3: Yeah, so, so what we've done is, is our sort of... We think the right thing to do is to, to find a smaller audience to start with, and that's the startup ecosystem. These are people who use technology, understand technology. Some of them are in startups. Some of them want to be in startups. So we think...
0: Hi, okay, just, I mean, this, this begs a question, which is if you're in startup land, are you even thinking about super? I mean, I guess you theoretically have to legally, right? Maybe if you have employees, but a lot of startups kind of... are They're in that weird space where everyone's just a founder and no one's an employee and is anyone paying super?
3: <laughs> so, the, the, yeah, so the startup ecosystem is definitely beyond just founders. Right. You know, it's it's people working at um, Atlassian. It's right. people who are at Canva. It's yep. people who are uh, lawyers and, and accountants who who go to these startup events because they love technology. They love the sort of almost counterculture, you know, way of being a founder or being
2: at a startup. And more broadly, it's also the creatives who help, you know, the the designers, the artists. The freelancers. The freelancers who are also... So, this is for people
0: who are also doing sort of a self-managed super things spaceship is going to be open for them as well Is what you mean so someone who would have no alternative if they're a freelancer
3: if you're a freelancer you don't manage your super yourself you have to choose somewhere to put your super Mm -hmm. right so um most people when they make a choice of where their super goes it's on the day they're being employed somewhere right um and that's really because if you look at the the two trillion dollars worth of uh, superannuation assets that is only managed by 250 funds there's no differentiation amongst those funds right there's a little bit of differentiation
0: oh there's vanilla and this chocolate and strawberry well, what are you talking yeah. about
3: <laughs> but, but, but on, on the edge there's if, if if you believe in ethical investing or sustainable investing right. there is funds that you can actively put your super mm-hmm. in around that right mm-hmm. and there's been some successful people or there's Australian ethical um, investment which is Andrew Sellin, who's who's one of the co-founders of the business he was the marketing manager you there so um, you know that is pretty much the only kind of differentiated fund or type of fund that you can go into Uh, so we're excited about being Spaceship Alright
0: but then what do you say to the 22 or 23 year old, maybe they're working in a startup maybe they're a creative and they're just just employed, what do you say to them that makes what you're doing so much more exciting that they make the positive choice?
3: I think yeah it's it's not a, it's not a, it's not a giant leap If you're using something every day, right? So you're using the internet every day. you're using Facebook every day. you're buying from Amazon. you right. know, you're on Snapchat every hour, which you probably shouldn't be. You know you're you're catching Ubers on Saturday night. Right. you know technology is all around us for our generation. We grew up with it. We've seen the impact of technology hit our generation. Um It's not a big leap to go, hey, maybe I should start there when I think about where I should put my capital where I should invest does know?
0: that mean then because one thing that's broadly true for super funds is that they're also kind of distant and unreachable and unknowable and maybe you get a statement in the mail every once in a while Absolutely. but there's no like sort of well, there might be an app interface to some super funds. I don't know, but I have never seen anyone go, "Oh my God, take a look at this beautiful super fund app that I have." Yeah. Are you guys going to be going in that direction too? So leaning into the idea that people want to have that in front of them.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's there's wonderful stories about you know the portfolio of assets you have. We we want people to understand what they own and why they own it. You mm-hmm. know, and, and the, the most wonderful companies in the world they take a long time for to play out their business plan. It's not a quarter-by-quarter quarter thing. It is literally three, five, ten years to play out a growth plan. So we want to take people on that journey. And if they understand why they own something, if they understand Jeff Bezos and what he's doing, right. when he was in 1999, when he was in 2005, when he was in... Um, 2015
0: when he gets to Mars in 2030 yeah.
3: if, if, if you understand that and you go you know what I have 1% of my super or whatever the number is mm. in Amazon mm-hmm. I totally get it I feel comfortable with that because I know that Jeff is doing the absolute best he can to manage that capital well within his business and you know that's that's what we're trying to do we're trying to create engagement so firstly where should you put your super should it be in bill super or super Chili Soup or whatever it is or should, or should you put it in Spaceship and then number two if you're if you in with us let's help you understand what we're doing so let's let's be accountable for the investment decision we're making and let's communicate that
1: well
0: okay now let's just say I'm going to jump back on the Wayback Machine because as we've already explained I'm an old man uh, it's 1980 I'm doing a Super Fund for Millennials and I'm going to put it in technology companies I'm investing in IBM and Digital Equipment Corporation and Data General because those are the three biggest technology companies in america
3: so the, 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 the it's, it's a really good point is is it not all technologies created equal, right? If you had invested in, and they're
0: people, not all created to last.
3: No, not absolutely. So, so technology is nothing without a differentiated, defensible business model wrapped around it, mm-hmm. right? So, airlines was a wonderful technology that that came out for for a generation before our parents, right? It completely changed the world, but there was no business model that you could wrap around it to make it defensible, um, to make it investable, right? So. You know that's that's where you need high quality investment professionals making distinctions between why TripAdvisor is a high quality business or why Amazon's a high quality business and why I'm not going to name them but why these other folks aren't great investments. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, you know it, there's there's tenements to it, but that's that's the over uh, overlay that you need. So it's not just about technology; it's about the right technology companies.
0: Right. Yeah. So Koshik, you're the COO, mm-hmm. and Investing like this is very highly regulated because you've got people's life savings and the government looks poorly upon you if you lose that or gamble it away or whatever. So you're working within a highly regulated framework, and yet at the same time, you're also quite startup-y. How does that work?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so we we operate within the law. (laughs) We're fully compliant. (laughs) Good to hear. (laughs) We're fully compliant with regulatory compliance. Um, there's ASIC and APRA, they're the mm. two regulators in this space, mm-hmm. and they regulate it very, very, very tightly, which is a good thing because we're dealing with people's life savings, their retirement. You know, How does that will.
0: change the way you would operate versus another startup company might operate? I mean, already out of the bat as a yeah. startup, you have to work differently, right?
2: Mm. Yes, we do have to work differently. And I, I, I think our customers would expect that. And the regulator, you know, obviously <laughs> expects that. Yes. Um <laughs> The way we do that is we have a compliance culture. Mm-hmm. So what that means is we use a framework, basically, and we audit ourselves against that framework. Um, Super is also held by a trustee. Right. And um, so it's held in trust until you retire. Mm. So the trustee is also there to help us work through the compliance requirements. But that goes all the way from you know the way we communicate, what we do say and do not say to the media, all the way down to the way we run our technology using the latest um the most secure technology mm-hmm. possible and mm-hmm. um putting in the right controls to make sure that people's money is safe
0: so do you suppose then again this is almost going to sound like a commercial you take the two 23 year olds one of them puts them their money just in the default super fund and one of them puts their money in spaceship um Do you suppose that you'll be able to see by the time they're 45 or 55 that the person who gambled, no, not gambled, but the person who made the decision, who actually made the conscious decision to go with your fund over another fund will have demonstrably significant, you know, more than just sort of, hi, we haven't charged you fees for the last 20 years or charged you lower fees. Will there be real, real gains from that?
3: If the question is, what's what's more risky? Is is it more risky being overweight BHP and the big four banks and being leveraged to the Australian property market, which is probably in a bubble, right? Or is it having a well-diversified portfolio built from first principles in the highest quality technology companies in the world, but diversified around that with technolo- uh, companies that are being enabled by technology and then diversified again by, by market indices? Like we're, we're building... I'd love to call it a fortress of a retirement portfolio. What What scared me when I first researched Super was that some of the some of the funds they would have portfolio turnover of thirty to forty percent a year. So if 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 you're if you're if you don't need liquidity for thirty years, mm-hmm. what why why is why is any, any of the portfolio are turning over, you should be making, because they're clipping the ticket every yeah, time. you should be making decade-long out. decisions. Yeah, and you should you should understand why those decisions are being made. The transparency shouldn't be just on fees and compliance, but it should also be on performance. It shouldn't be how I hear from you once a year when I submit my tax return. It should be like every week, every month. Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we think that's right. Um, and having that engagement—that's that, what we hope to bring to this industry.
0: No, oh, Paul. I wish you very well as you fuel this spaceship up and prepare to launch. Thank you for being on This Week in Startups Australia.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Hi, this is Mark Pesci with a few final words about episode sponsors Braintree. Code for easy online payments. Now again, entrepreneurs around the world have been using Braintree as a simple way to accept many different payment systems, including PayPal and credit cards and debit cards and whatever's coming next, so that with a single scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world. That makes your expansion a snap. And using Braintree is as easy as integrating a few lines of code, so that gets your business up and running fast. To learn more, visit BraintreePayments.com slash TWISTA. Payments are everywhere. They touch almost every transaction that a startup will consider with probably the exception of investment. They're certainly how a startup connects with its customers. So every startup needs to think carefully about the customers they have today and the customers they plan on getting tomorrow when they develop a payment strategy. Now, too often, that's an afterthought. It's a decision deferred that causes problems further down the road. It's the same kind of deferred decision we make about superannuation with big consequences. Now, again, thanks to Braintree Payments for their sponsorship of this special episode. They make this possible. Thanks to Felix Walmouth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that's a joy to listen to. Thanks to Andrew Davis, Paul Bennett, and Kashik Sen for taking the time to come on this special. And this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to this special payments episode of This Week in Startups Australia.